It's FAQ NYC Offcycle, where the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take a different and deeper look into some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Ozzie Pabera, reporter at The Washington Post and one of the founders of the podcast. Here with Mark Chisano, the author of The Fabulous, the lying, hustling, grifting, stealing, and very American legend of George Santos. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ozzy. Appreciate it. So first question is, how did you first get to meet George Santos? Let's start with the basics. Oh, man. Hell yeah. Um, as long as you tell me yours as well. You know, you've reported on Santos, too. Um, mine, the first time um, I spoke to him was in 2019. My editor came over to my desk and said, hey, you know, heard of this new guy running against Swazi. At the time, I was, um, you know, doing a lot of writing for this newsletter at Newsday, The Point. And they were like, call him up, you know, do a little kind of quick intro. So I get in touch with him. He's available immediately which I was like, great, you know, that's the the dream, you know, I, I got my piece for today. And I say, you know, how you doing, sir, whatever. Um, and he explains that he's launching his campaign that that day, that moment, which is great. I was like, amazing, I got you at the right time. Like, where is it? I'll come, I'll come over, you know, maybe that's better. We can just do this in person. And he says, no, I'm actually in Florida right now on business. So that was like kind of the first weirdness, you know, I was thinking, why are you launching your campaign for a Long Island, Queens district from Florida, you know, but anyway, uh, that was just the beginning with him. So I, you know, wrote a piece. Um, he actually shared it on Facebook, which is very funny now. Cause he kind of hates everything I write. Um, but it was kind of just like one of the first like campaign pieces I wrote about him. And then, you know, I would kind of check in on him, uh, for the rest of that cycle. Um, and things got especially weird at the end of it when he lost definitively 12 percentage points. And, then just goes down to new member orientation as if he'd won, you know? And so I wrote a bunch about him back then and this kind of grifty new um, recount campaign committee that he opened um, and how he was like doing some weird spending for that. So this was back in 2020. And uh, so, yeah, it was a lot of strange things even back then. Then things got weirder in 22. So uh, I want to take a step back and revisit some of that early George Santos stuff, because what we know about George Santos now, we're recording Friday morning. The House Ethics Committee has already released their scathing report that is all in all likelihood going to lead to his expulsion from Congress. But as somebody from Newsday who's been writing about him since 2019, I just have to ask, like, did you did you and your colleagues miss this at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, we. So we, I wrote about him in 2019, right? Um, and was kind of like doing these little intros and asking questions about him in this in this newsletter, the point that I was working on. Um, I was not the only one who was doing that. You know, um, Will Bretterman at the Daily Beast did a lot of great um, work around that time as well. You know, kind of like raising questions about this guy, the finances, his connections to. Um, this sort of um, Harbor City uh, capital shop. And, you know, and I followed up on that a bit too. The North Shore Leader also raised questions, right? So there were people who were raising questions and I kind of write about this in the book. The problem was that none of us, including me, didn't kind of bring the whole story together and kind of connect the threads and say, 
wait a minute, like everything here is weird and fake, right? And certainly, you know, we didn't have any ability to go to Brazil <laughs> or pull the Brazilian, uh, you know, records. So that I, I, I always, I've always thought that that was kind of the the huge like difference in the time story that they had this incredible, incredible like lurid story from Brazil, and that really just kind of brings it all together and it kind of snaps the picture into focus. So that that that's incredibly helpful. Let's take a step back for a moment and just do a little bit of table setting with respect to the district where George Santos is representing and who he succeeded. It's a district that in its most current iteration includes parts of Queens and Long Island. Do you want to describe it a little bit more where exactly in New York we're talking about? Yeah, sure. So it's uh, it's a little complicated because it, it was two different districts, right? It got redistricted in the middle um, before his second run. Um, the first time it actually included um, bit of Queens, Nassau County, and Suffolk County. It actually went all the way into Suffolk County. And Tom Swazi was the incumbent who I guess has been uh, on this podcast before, right? Um, and uh, and was uh, was that when he was running for governor? Do you know? I wonder. Um, probably. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I think it was a little bit afterwards when he was returning. He, so, he, so this was before his run for governor, right? He was a member of Congress. Um, he's a Long Island guy, but he represented this district that, um, that went into Queens as well. And Swazi was the incumbent, and he was a very powerful incumbent and well-known, um, has like a long pedigree on Long Island, uh, a lot of family members in politics. So the um, Republican in that district was not really expected to win in 2020. This is. Um, it was not like no one was jumping at the chance to run for that seat, which was one of the big problems here. This is how Santos kind of got the chance to run in the first place. So so he runs, loses, and then the seat gets redistricted. Um, at that time, Tom Swazi leaves, runs for governor. Um, and now the district is only parts of Nassau and uh, Queens. Uh, we don't really have to get into the a million right. different redistricting pieces of it, but Ultimately, um, the district ends up being kind of surprisingly more Republican friendly than people thought, um, which, again, was kind of what gave Santos this in and allowed him to kind of ride this red wave to office. Yeah. And 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 just as a reminder, like 2019 and 2020, the things that people were sort of concerned about. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much checking resumes for, from what I remember, but it was about the state of democracy. Are people going to accept election results? There seemed to be an almost existential moment for democracy and congressional races were sort of flying under that kind of auspices. That's definitely right. I mean, it was during COVID as well. I will say, though, that, you know, one of the things I wrote about Santos in 2020 um, was that he was uh, promoting the QAnon wild conspiracy. You know, this was a, we, we did an editorial about QAnon, um, in, in, in American politics. And one of the local examples that we pulled was Santos who retweeted some QAnon slogans. He at the time told me, oh, I have no idea what they are. Um, but you know, who knows if that's true or not. Um, so yeah, so these races did fall, uh, under the radar, but as we now see, they're super important. Yeah. And and one thing I, I, I just want to sort of t- touch upon also is that this Santos, who, as you described in your book, born from Brazilian parents in Queens, sort of migrates into the world of politics from the fringes, 
and ends up convincing people to sort of like let him run for office without too much of a, of a headache. Mm-hmm. Um, this entire story of George Santos happened after a lot of people sort of learned a, a painful lesson about fact checking and the role of journalism in the era of Donald Trump. Yep. So I guess my question is, how did this happen again? Well, it's a totally different situation, I think. Um, the, you know, Donald Trump, there's uh, the problems were not things that we didn't know about him, right? They were the way that Trump was written about and the way that those facts were presented, right? And the way his words were sort of recorded. Um, the issue with George Santos um, was that, A, not enough people were looking into him, right? And B, like I said before, the the sort of threads weren't pulled um, of of all the sort of sketchy aspects of his life. Um, I I do think that this is something that we kind of forget. A lot of the pieces of this story were out there already by the time he was elected, you know, between stuff that I wrote, stuff that a bunch of those other reporters that I mentioned wrote, um, and the DCCC's um, research into him, which had a lot of holes in it, but also had a lot of extremely damning material. This was not a candidate who, you know, was um, was un uh, unattacked. You know, he had there were tons of things that people were poking holes into his life. Um, unfortunately, the sort of top line things that would have marked him as a total liar, a kind of fun liar in the beginning, from the beginning, didn't get uh, checked, didn't get sort of caught. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's funny, I think about this a lot, like I spent a long, long time um, making sure that, um, that current Congressman Nick LaLota did indeed uh, graduate from Annapolis, like he said he did, right? And this is kind of just the standard, like bread and butter things that you check, right? That when you like, look at someone's bio, you, you know, a sort of light goes off and you think, okay, let's just make sure, you know, that he's not claiming something he didn't. Totally, he was totally telling the truth, right? Um, but I spent a long time filing public information requests and sort of making sure that this was right. And and for whatever reason, I didn't do that with NYU with Santos, you know. Um, and I'm kicking myself, obviously. But you know, it's like you 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 only have time and uh, and means to sort of check on the on like the things that seem like they're going to be sketchy. And I'd already written so many things about how Santos was sketchy. So, um, you know, that, and that was kind of the problem. I think that, but just to return to Trump for a second, I think that that is one similarity between Trump and Santos is that there were just so many kind of crazy things about Santos that it it sort of softens the atmosphere a little bit. And people, it was just like, oh, okay, another crazy thing about Santos. Here you go. You know, we already knew he was connected to this alleged Ponzi scheme. We already knew he was like not living where he said he lived. There were so many things that we knew that it kind of like blocked us from looking at every single craziness. Uh, Mark, I want to get into your book. It's a fun read. Some references to The Great Gatsby. Very nice literary Long Island touch. But before we do that, I just want to ask, what are some of the major lessons that you think reporters, editors, the public, people interested in New York uh, and, and politics, what are the lessons from George Santos? What can he teach us about where we are today? Well, I think we should all always be doing our checking, right? And making sure that people are who they say who they are. Um, and I think that this is just one more reason why it's important to have more local outlets like the city um, that is kind of looking into candidates of all kinds. 
usually what happens, right? Like what I just described with Nicolota, um, usually what happens is that you look into something and it's fine, you know, it checks out, right? It, it is what the candidate says it, it was. Um, and you have to have uh, the resources and the support to allow you to go through those, you know, moments where you don't have a hit, right? Um, so it's important to be able to supporting local media to do that kind of uh, like, you know, uh, checking, um, which I, I don't think there's enough of, of right now. Mark, what are the lessons that people can take away from George Santos? I think that there's tons of lessons that we could take, right? Um, one is the importance of kind of digging into all candidates and taking them seriously, right? Kind of doing doing our due diligence and doing all the checks. And a lot of times that doesn't yield anything, right? You do the check and the and the candidate is telling the truth, right? And you know, and 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 it's all good. You kind of it's you just kind of continue down the road. Um, but it's important to do the check and uh, and kind of go go all the way down. I think that the more local media, the better, right? Um, if there's more outlets that are covering um, all these races, um, that gives us more competition. There's more more eyes, more possibility that something gets caught. Or like I said before. When something has already been flagged, when someone has been flagged as sketchy and there's been lots of stories, um, if there's more people writing about a race, then there's more, this kind of gets elevated, right? And more people look and you find new things. And this is kind of how, this is the great thing about New York City journalism, right? Is that there's like a million people competing and following each other. And so the more of that, the better. Um, one of the things that George Santos appears to have lied about is his biography where his family's from, being Jewish, or as he describes, Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen that before with State Senator uh, Salazar, who presented a biography when she was running for office. It turns out to not entirely be true, or not even as she says it. And the reaction to it seemed to have been a shrug from people who agreed with her politics, that this is our person because she stands for the kind of policies we like, and she's currently in office. How did Santos respond to questions about his identity and why would someone even do that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that the difference with Santos was that he, I think if it had merely been sort of biographical, um, you know, changes or even inventions, right? I, I think he might have become a laughingstock and maybe he wouldn't have won re-election, but I don't I don't think that he gets as much attention or sort of um, anger as as he did. Right. Um, it was kind of the inveterate nature of his lying and also his um, his his scheming. Right. The, the sort of money that he um, that he that he took from people and took from his own campaign, as we saw in the ethics uh, committee report. Yes. Um, you know, the, this week. So um, so I think that he is. You know, one person I write about in the book is a uh, representative Doug Stringfellow, who made up a lot of um, of World War II stories, like his World War II background. Um, you know, totally not what he said it was, and it was similarly kind of lurid and interesting. And there was like a spy piece of it, and you know, it's a great story. Um, but when he got found out, he um, he kind of there's like a brief sort of interlude, but then pretty quickly he decides. I'll step, you know, I'll, I'll not run for re-election. I'll get out of here, you know, and that that sort of um, that sort of political pressure brought to bear 
um, has only recently started to come to bear on Santos. And he spent a long time just floating with all these things out there. Um, so I think it's a, just sort of a, it's like a different time. Um, what did you learn about Santos that you did not know uh, when you started your reporting for the book? I learned a lot of things. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I talked to over 100 people, you know, went through hours and hours of footage of him and tons of stuff on social media. So yeah, it's a, it's a ton of, uh, of new information for me and for the reader, I hope. Um, some of the most fun pieces of the book, I think, were looking at his childhood um, in, in Queens and getting in touch with old teachers of his and people he went to school with. Um, in, in, in the book, you, you cite something that I believe his, uh, his mother said or, mm. or, or his dad about there, like, there he goes again. That's, that's yeah. just my son who, who lied. Can, can you describe a bit of that scene and, and how you got that piece, that piece of information? Yeah. I think the quote is something like, don't listen to him, you know, Anthony, his stories. Um, and I, I just loved that, um, that description of what Santos is doing is that he's, this is what his, this is how his mom described it is that he's telling stories, you know, um, obviously they're lies, right? I mean, they're, they're made up, but a lot of times they come from a little like kernel of truth or something that he wishes was true or something that like could plausibly be true. Another family member of his told me that with Anthony, it's like a, uh, you know, like a pebble of truth and a mountain of lies. Right. And I think that that, um, when you talk about like what I learned, I think that was kind of the sort of like vision reset for me. I was like, oh, this is what this guy is doing. You know, he's telling these stories um, kind of to make himself look better, to make his life seem better, to make himself happier in his own life and to advance his, uh, you know, his wallet and his and his path for fame. Yeah, I think the, the, the quote in the book is, oh, my God, Anthony and his stories. Oh, my God, Anthony's stories. Yeah. Um, you, you also highlighted something that was remarkable because of what it exemplified in terms of Santos taking a kernel of truth, but often about somebody else. Oh, yeah. And saying it's about him. It was during a debate where he and the Democrat that he was running against are asked one of the most innocuous questions about their holiday plans, I mm -hmm. think. Do you want to show that or, or tell people yeah. about that scene? Yeah, yeah. So this is um this is in 2022. He's running against Robert Zimmerman and um the two candidates are on on CBS and they're doing a sort of like quick debate. And these things are like tight. There's not a ton you don't get like a ton of room to say things. So usually you try to, you know, have a really colorful like, you know, evocative thing to say, right? This is also the end of it. It's kind of supposed to be a light like we're jumping out. Um you know, kind of like colorful little anecdote. And so Zimmerman says the sort of usual, um, like, what are you, you going to do for the holidays? I'm paraphrasing here, but it's, you know, he says something like, oh, I'm going to sit around in pajamas and uh, and eat Haagen-Dazs. Great. Okay. You know, thought, nice idea. Then it goes to Santos and he says, yeah, you know, I'm just really looking forward to uh, being with my family and putting on pajamas and we're going to eat some Haagen-Dazs, you know? And you know, Zimmerman just kind of looks at him like, what? <laughs> Did you really just kind of take my, the thing I just said, and you forgot to kind of change it even a little bit? And I think that was a telling moment for a lot of people watching. And, and, and in the book, you write, 
it was as if the fabulous tick of borrowing other people's stories went into overdrive and Santos forgot to wait half a minute for a separate audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that seems to be one of those moments that helped. I, I think at least for, for me, while reading a book, better understand Santos as a person. But you also delve into some of the apparatus that enabled Santos to run for office. And key to that was his campaign treasurer, Nancy Marks. Now, a lot more information has come out about the campaign with this ethics report, campaign money being spent on cosmetics material, perhaps OnlyFans, no judgment, you know, but using campaign money for that seems to be uh, not what it's intended for. But how did how did his campaign treasurer, Nancy Marks, play a role in this? And what did you find out about her? Yeah, you know, the funny thing is that this um, this book was at the printer when the um, I can't remember if it, I think it was it was literally at the printer when the Nancy Marks indictment, I think, came. So I had like a brief moment to um, to sort of to like add in a few things about, you know, from that these last court files, which I was really glad to have the opportunity to do. But it just shows the kind of craziness of this book that I was literally like they're printing it. And I could sub in like the exact number of characters, you know, um, it was, did wild. you yell, stop the presses? Yeah, basically, basically on, on email, you know, <laughs> eventually they stopped answering my, uh, requests to add new information. Um, but no, so the, um, I had been interested in Nancy for a long time. I'd done a lot of writing about her for Newsday, um, after this, you know, after we kind of learned more about Santos and, and her connections to him, um, she is a fascinating figure who kind of is uh she's a huge political um actor out in Suffolk County. She's developed this like huge web of political work. Um kind of has a sad story. Her husband um died a few years ago and and she had a pretty big family and had to support them and is appears to be like a real family woman and you know cares about her family and some people told me that that was one reason that she was looking to kind of expand her business, kind of uh, make more money if she could. Um, and this is when she runs into Santos this is when she meets Santos and um, and she and Santos kind of go into business together in more than one way. Right. She makes a lot of money off his campaign itself. Um, he hires her for much more work than is typical for a campaign treasurer. By the way, campaign treasurer can sometimes be like a volunteer. You know, it doesn't it's not it's not a job that you need to be spending a lot of money on necessarily um, at this level. Um, but she you know, he does. He pays her a lot of money. And then they start opening. Um, they open this business together, Red Strategies, which is supposed to um, kind of do other campaign work for other candidates. Very strange thing to be doing while he himself is literally running for office. Right. And and as wild as some of the Santos lies that have been parodied by everyone who has a talk show uh, mm-hmm. at night and SNL. The the real substantive problems with Santos that have really gotten him into trouble are, is what he did with money, with the public money. Um, he's steered it towards paying off his own debt, paying for a, a, allegedly his rent, taking money from donors, sometimes using uh, aliases or misinformation. Um, what did you find in terms of the money trail and who did he target to to rip off? Yeah, well, so a couple of things are interesting to me about this. Um, I love the OnlyFans 
uh, anecdote that came up from in the House Ethics Report, right? Which um, is, and this is basically that OnlyFans is a is a website. Uh, kind of your, your listeners can look it up themselves, not on a public computer, hopefully. Um, but uh, the interesting thing is that the way that that mon- that he used that money, um, that the the money that he actually used for OnlyFans, um, what happened was he he calls up a a donor of his, a supporter of his, and he says, "I'm gonna need some more help. Um, this is the crunch time of the campaign." Um, I need like outside spending. So he tells this donor, please um, give money to this company, which will do outside spending to um, to help to help my race. Now, that company was not actually doing outside spending. It was a company that Santos essentially, uh, you know, set up or was was a big part in setting up. Um, he actually apparently signs documents saying he's the managing director of it. It's called Redstone. And so this money goes to this somewhat sketchy company that Santos then just pockets and uses it for OnlyFans, et cetera. But what's funny to me is kind of like everyone is scamming in this situation, right? Because Santos is using this money that the donor thought was going to support him politically, and he's using it for OnlyFans and Sephora and et cetera. But the donor, you know, was not able to just give Santos directly this money because that's against the law. It's too much money. I think it was like $25,000 or something. Um, so what the donor did was not illegal. You are allowed to give money to an outside group to spend for a candidate who is not kind of coordinating with that candidate. But it's just this funny thing of like everyone is doing a sort of low level grift. You know, we're getting around campaign finance law by doing this right. outside spending thing. And then Santos turns around and like takes it to the nth degree, uses it for kind of crazy uses. Yeah, it it is remarkable also that um they are skirting what are already pretty loose rules in terms of campaign finance. The loosest. And this is how he was able to kind of um, to kind of do this grift for so long, because a lot of there, there is a lot of gray area in terms of what is a campaign expense, a legitimate campaign expense. And what isn't if you um, I was talking to one expert for the book who's kind of walking me through it. If you go to a nice restaurant, you know, and who is at that restaurant with you? Is this more of a campaign expense or is this just a personal expense that you happen to have like a campaign buddy along, you know, for the ride? This is a gray area that a lot of people exploit. So um, as as we wind down, I sort of want to do a little bit of a lightning round question. I want to ask you a question about Santos and you tell me if it's fact, fiction, or we don't know. Whoa. Okay. Love this. Hagen okay. Does. No. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, question one. He claimed to have been a championship volleyball player in college. That seems to be totally, uh, totally false and comes from it. Like, like we were saying before, he seems to have taken that story from a person he knew. Uh, number two, he claims to have gone to college. Uh, he himself has said he did not. And there are no records to, he did not graduate from college and there's no records as to, suggest that that's not true. True or false, Santos once claimed to have attended the Horace Mann Prep School. He did claim to attend. The head of it, the the sort of spokesman for Horace Mann, told me they couldn't find records dating back decades, decades, decades. That would include him. True or false, Santos once claimed he didn't even know the name he used while he attended Horace Mann. He didn't even know the name. Oh, interesting. His I own can't name. remember his. Right, right, right. He used a bunch of different uh, names at that point. I forget which was the one he said uh, he used back then. Uh, true or false? Uh, he claimed his family were descendants of 
uh, Holocaust survivors. Yes, that's right. It is. Uh, he did. I'm sorry. He did. Uh, he did claim that it was not true. Um, there's a long reason that it's not true, and you could look about it in the book. Yeah. Um, true or false? He once said that he wanted to run either the finance committee or the treasury department for the United States government. Wow, I don't remember that one about Treasury, but there was a funny little piece about Janet Yellen in the Ethics Committee report. Yeah. Um, so yeah, readers can look that up. Where where somebody texted him about Janet yeah, Yellen, yeah. and he does not know who that is. Right, right. Um, and lastly, in an interview with Pierce Morgan, I think Santos said something about taking a a genealogy test to prove mm-hmm. his family records. Has he ever released those results? He he has mentioned it a lot of times. He's floated this genealogy thing. I haven't seen it. I don't know if anyone um, has reputable has seen it. The funny thing is, this is another one of those pebbles of truth. His family does think that they have some, you know, Jewish heritage generations back, but certainly they are not Jewish and fled the Holocaust. Um, and families can can get me complicated, especially yes. You know, people who who migrate or come from another country, generations, uh, stories can sometimes evolve. But yes, that's exactly right. Uh, And lastly, you open your book by noting that Santos threatened to sue you if you get anything wrong about him. Anything in your book. Any single thing in this book of like 90,000 words, you know. (laughs) Uh, So as the last question, um, have you been sued yet? I have not been sued. Uh, I've not been contacted, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. He's not going to be happy, I'm sure. Right. Um, the book is called The Fabulous, The Lying, Hustling, Grifting, Stealing, and Very American Legend of George Santos. Mark Chisano, thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for writing this book. Uh, may you never write a book about me or, yeah. <laughs> or someone else. Um, what is your next project? We'll see. We shall see. Yeah, I'm still kind of in the George Santos mind right now. So looking forward to some new reporting projects soon. Right. When you do, uh, please come back and tell us all about it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. FAQ. FAQ NYC is part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting journalism that serves the people of New York. Right now, The city is in the middle of its year-end fundraising campaign. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to support the pod is by setting up a monthly recurring donation by going to thecity.nyc slash give. If you already make a monthly donation and want to add a special one-time gift, you can also do that at thecity.nyc slash give. As ever, FAQ's work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc. And the pod also receives support from PNT Knitwear, an independent bookstore, cafe, and event space on Manhattan's Lower East Side with a podcast studio that can be freely reserved for community use. The podcast is a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, and is affiliated with the Colin Powell School at CUNY City College, where our co-host, Christina Greer, is one of the Moynihan Public Scholars Inaugural Fellows. Our guest host this episode was Ozzy Pabra. Our engineer is Adam Kamara. Our executive producer is me, Harry Siegel. A special thank you to our guest, Mark Chisano. Thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.
All right. Uh, before before we totally cut, and Adam, don't use my voice. Is this it for, for George Santos, or is this just like the, the end of Act One, dude? I mean, and I'm sure Ozzy knows as much as more more than I do, probably about this, the political side. But um, I, I think everyone who I've been hearing from, like dating back to earlier this week, once the report was being kind of like shared around, um, was saying like they're they're going to vote him out for sure now. Um, Right? Is that what you're still hearing, Ozzy? Yeah. Actually, I, I would love to ask you this this one question, mm. um, if we're still recording. Santos seemed to have lied a lot about his biography, but he seemed to, at some point, land on a, a consistency about the politics he wanted to represent, mm-hmm. which was very far-right, yes. Trumpy. You could use any of those words. What role did partisanship play in allowing Santos to cultivate support while all these facts about him were coming out yeah um he definitely kind of um found a sort of friend group in you know i call it sort of the shamelessness caucus in the book of like marjorie taylor green paul gozar um you know people who kind of uh are, are similar to him in the in those sort of far-right points of view you know the funny thing though is that even in the even in his political points of view um he has flip-flopped right in, in that vulnerability report, his own campaign staff um, said to him, you know, a problem for you is going to be that at one point you said, I'm no right winger, you know, <laughs> and uh, this was like seen as a problem at the time, right, for a Republican running for office. Yeah. So he did develop in some ways this farther right um, persona um, that he kind of stuck with. Well, he he said uh, in D.C. on January 5th, you know, mm-hmm. They stole the election for me. Let's go and fight and take back this election for Donald Trump. That's right. And later he's at a diner and a local TV uh, crew records him telling a diner that he's not sure wh- whether or not he'll support Trump again. Yeah. So it's he's he's happy to hop back and forth. Yeah. This uh, what I was trying to ask before is not 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 is he going to be, you know, in oh, Congress, oh, but like, is this the end? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, are we going to be seeing him on Cameo? On I think so. Right wing news network on political like influencer. Uh, are, are, you bet your wife sort of game show. I think so. I think it's like a Dancing with the Stars kind of out dancing with the half Dancing with the Stars, half Alex Jones future. You know, once he gets out of jail. Yeah, prison, he's on. <laughs> he's on t- Twitter Spaces regularly. Something I just was am writing about right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he loves the Twitter Spaces. Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, Ozzy, we didn't talk about when you met him. Did you, did you, uh, have you spoken to him about? Uh, I, he really did not hit my radar until the Mm. Times story. Yeah. yeah. Because I was distracted doing other things. Yeah. I got him on the phone once and I recognized his voice and I asked to speak with Santos and he said, he's not here and he hung (laughs) up on me. Beautiful. And and he's ignored all my inquiries and stuff since then. But, I have made a habit of just um, recording and capturing video and things that he said. And then rather than weigh in and say, you are a liar or anything, just share what he said at different times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, I I haven't interviewed him or spoke with him, but I've been able to share and create a little library of of Santos quotes. So so, So when he says, you know, Oh, I attended that school. They, they don't have the right. Right, right. There's actual 
I remember him telling Pierce Morgan, and I have the quote somewhere, he doesn't recall the name he he used as a high school student. He's only 35. Uh, I don't remember that quote from that interview, but that quote is incredible. Oh. I, I mean, that that interview yeah. is incredible. Yeah. And, and it's sort of exemplary of like TV sometimes. You hold someone, yes. the, the nature of like, let's let me get to the next question, and they let him w- wiggle out yeah, of it. But. Yeah, yeah. Even still that, I mean, Piers Morgan is Piers Morgan, but there's a lot of good stuff that came out of that interview, <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. It, Same it, with the Manu Raji one. I mean, you know, it's like whenever he sits down for an interview, it's hilarious, and he just kind of trips over himself and makes new problems for himself. You know, I I don't want to psychoanalyze anyone yeah. and stuff, but like, what makes somebody do this? What what are you able to see from all of his behavior? I know. I mean, that was kind of why I was writing the book and trying to kind of get an answer to that. I mean, I think a lot of it is this sense of insecurity, you know, that he like had this deep sense. Um, but there does seem to be something deeper wrong than that, you know, because it wasn't all for personal gain. Like I talked to a lot of people who would hear lies from him that it was sort of like why did you say that lie you know it didn't there's no point to it and i think that's what sort of separates him from someone like Stringfellow, you know the guy who lies about his military background it's like okay we get it we understand why you did that so you you decided to open your book with the scene of santos standing in the mirror looking at himself and mm. you sort of imagine what he's thinking mm. Uh, when, when Maggie Haberman wrote her book about Donald Trump, she opens it with a scene where Trump asks her, like, what do you want me to say? Mm. Not as a challenge, but as a question. And she took that to be the moment where she understood he will say anything and do anything to get through yeah. the next five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your decision to open your book with the scene of Santos looking in the mirror rather than him stealing puppies yeah. from, from people in Pennsylvania or lying about um some details around his mother's death right which he claimed where she was in the world trade center or or any of the other moments that he sort of invented what why the scene of santo standing in front of the mirror for, well, for the do, opening of your book i do think that the reason he's interesting to me and probably to lots of people is because there is some we're, we're not it's not that we're just angry at him you know as citizens and voters like that's part of it like he is you know he is sort of betrayed the trust, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a different thing than Trump. And he's not like a violent person as far as we know, you know, um, he can be threatening, but there's a, there's a way that I, in some ways, I'm sure some readers will feel a little sad for him, um, you know, as well as for his victims, right. His many, many victims, but here's a man who's really ruined his life, you know, and his own life. And there was kind of no need for it. You know, no one forced him to run for Congress and do all these things, but you're kind of watching like a train wreck. And I think I was sort of interested to like, try to get into that person's head. Like how, why, how do you start the train wreck? Why does the train, what's the engine of the train? And to me, there was something about the focus on looks and appearance that I think that's the exterior like symptom of the disease inside.